and knock down some doors. <laughs> uh, let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning, Father. Lord, the people in here are not an accident. You brought them here. Father, would you speak now as, as these words that we look at that were spoken over 2,000 years ago, Father, would they speak yet again? Father, as you are eternal, your word is eternal. Father, speak now. Spirit, move. <laughs> speak to our hearts. In your name, amen. I, uh, I used to, well, I still, I mean, I, I grew up in New England, and so do you guys remember that? Like, I grew up in New England. I love Boston sports. That's never been mentioned. There's four people in this room, uh, my grandparents and my parents, that love Boston sports, and so it would be really disrespectful if you booed the Red Sox because they're here. Uh, but uh, because of that, uh, back in the day, there was this uh, media outlet called Barstool Sports. They came to fame because when, when Tom Brady was wrongfully accused of deflating footballs, uh, he staged a, a sting operation, if you will, outside of NFL headquarters, got arrested, blew up, blah, blah, blah. Barstool Sports became very famous after that. And so I was following them. And I used to, when I would share their information or when I would talk about that with some of my friends and family, watch their pizza reviews, all of those things, I would tell people, oh, it's my guilty pleasure. It's my guilty pleasure because... Everything on Barstool Sports is not appropriate. And so I would share about it. And I would say, it's my guilty pleasure. And then I went on vacation this past, uh, back in March, and I was uh, on a cruise. And while I was on the cruise, I was reading uh, The Pursuit of Holiness. And there's this concept in here which really, uh, really connected with me that sometimes we struggle to, to connect with holiness because we're comparing ourselves to the person next to us. That, oh, the person next to us does heroin, and so my little sin, my here and there with the little things I dabble in, it's not that big of a deal. We're comparing to the wrong person. That my pursuit of holiness has one person to compare myself to, Jesus Christ. And if he is perfect, I don't really care what the person next to me to do. My, is doing. My eyes are on Jesus. And whether you're young, old, new to the faith, old to the faith, whatever, we all have room to grow when Jesus is the focal point. And so I was, reading, I was reading this book, and I was like, man, I know God doesn't really love that I'm watching Barstool Sports. <laughs> and I know that when Robert Kraft comes up and he did some shady things down in Florida... <laughs> And I found myself using barstool sports arguments to defend Robert Kraft. I was laughing at things that breaks the heart of God. And so I found myself at this crossroads where I could give God lip service and say, it's not that big of a deal. Or I could say, God, you are Lord. I know that you're putting this on me and I need to stop this. And so I unfollowed everything with Barstool Sports. I've not watched a pizza review. I've not done anything with Barstool Sports since that time. And guess what? My life hasn't skipped a beat. <laughs> I'm moving forward. Everything is okay. I still find social media interesting uh, because I still follow people that are train wrecks. And so I don't need uh, Barstool Sports uh, to have social media be entertaining for me. And what it really taught me was that what God was telling me to take out of my life added nothing to my life <laughs> because I stopped following it. When we give God lip service... We have this, this mantra of like, God, like, you're so cool. You're a nice guy, but if God is just a nice guy, then yeah. Like, I can say yes over here, but no over here. A nice guy approach to Jesus does not make him Lord. We value simplicity here. Keep our sim, sim, uh, system simple. Keep the approach to Jesus simple. We, everything out in the world, it can be chaotic, but we should, we should value simplicity and following Jesus through simplicity. Here's, here's, the simple here's a simple phrase that we can say. Jesus is Lord of all 
or he's not Lord at all. If, if he's not Lord of everything, then we can't call him Lord. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. What, what I hope that we can, what we can see today is that Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a disciple, then live like it. There is no circumstance that will come your way that should get you off the road of following me. He's talking to his disciples and he's not, he's not looking at the world saying, well, hey, you should be moral and then find me. No, he's looking at his disciples and saying, if you know it, live like it. And this is where he goes at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can turn there in the Bibles or it will be up there on the screen. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? He he says in the double to emphasize what is there in the Greek that is the word Kyrie. The word Kyrie is what we get for Lord. And if if you're the modern, if you're the listener back in the day, you would understand that this is somebody that has power, somebody that has authority, someone who's been authorized to speak, somebody who's worthy of devotion somebody who i should give everything to you would hear that you would know that so why do you call me lord lord and what not do what i tell you jesus is is concluding a sermon like jesus if if you're concluding a sermon shouldn't you end with a jolly <laughs> like shouldn't you end with a joke shouldn't you live like end with a ha ha jesus no is is ending with this little bit of a dagger Like, you're calling me Lord, but you're not doing what I say. He's talking to disciples that they're like, Jesus, you were were just up on the mountain praying. You came down. You said, we are your disciples. Now you're speaking to us. You're invited. Like, Jesus, like, this is all really new to us, and you're ending like this? We haven't even had time to go off off the rails, if you will. But he's speaking to them because he knows this. Jesus knows their heart. He knows that they're going to be inclined to give him lip service. Judas, after all, is still present. And he gives them, he knows that if you give them, if you give me lip service, that that will lead you nowhere. He's talking, as the crowd that's invited in, they're fascinated by Jesus. But fascination does not necessarily lead to a fully devoted disciple. The, those that are, are fascinated by Jesus are likely going to be given over to lip service. So here's the big thought for us today. If we are followers of Jesus Christ... We must look at Jesus through the pages of Scripture, and we must choose if, our, if we have faith in Jesus Christ. That is going to drive our obedience. It's faith that drives obedience. It's not obedience that will lead us to faith. It's faith that drives obedience. Why do I say it like that? Because when you and I said yes to Jesus, and we said, Jesus, you are Lord. You died. You rose again. You are everything for me. You are the forgiveness of sin. Guess what was yours when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? All forgiveness. What was yours? All acceptance what was yours all love so as you follow jesus guess what you can't do you can't earn more love that would say that he withheld some love you can't earn more forgiveness that would say he withheld some forgiveness you can't earn more acceptance that would say he accepted you in some areas when you said yes to Jesus, all of that was yours as fully as possible. And so when you and I go to a place when we say yes to Jesus, be out of a place of being fully loved, out of a place of being fully accepted, out of a place of being fully forgiven, out of that place, it is our joy to honor Jesus Christ with our lives. True faith is the catalyst to true obedience. And so he looks at lordship and he looks at, he looks at lip service. He starts with lordship. He says this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building his house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and it could not shake it. Why? Because it had been well built. 
Back in the day, he's speaking to a group of people that would know the landscape. They were building houses on clay. In the summer months, the landscape, would make, without the rain, would make the clay really, really hard. And so to build your house and lay a good foundation, you would have to dig into what was very rock-like, dried-out clay. And you would be tempted to take a shortcut, not, build, uh, not dig deep, but to build a house on hardened clay. But then what happens when there's a storm? What, what happens when the winter months come? What happens when the spring rains come? What happens when the experience is rain? What was once hard becomes so soft and crumbles the house. So with the hard summer months, you're tempted to take a shortcut. There is nothing trailblazing about shortcuts. Nothing. You ask anybody driving anywhere, and they will tell you, hey, this is how you can get there in the shortest way possible. Here's a road. You, I, have a little, I have a little secret. You need to go this way. Everybody's always looking for a shortcut. There is nothing trailblazing about shortcuts. What is trailblazing and saying, this is how I get there? No matter the obstacle, no matter, matter the hurdle, I will follow Jesus as I call him Lord. Because if we choose to not, if we say, God, you are Lord, but I'm not going to do what you say. You know what that does? It cheapens the word Lord. The word Lord becomes meaningless when it's just word, when it's just Lord in principle. That's why Jesus is emphasizing action throughout this whole text. He's emphasizing action be, because, because other, other, Jesus was not the only one this, in this time period rolling 12 deep. He was not the only one with, with, 12, with disciples. There were other rabbis that had disciples. You know what they emphasized? Knowledge. Learn, learn, learn. No, no, no. What Jesus is emphasizing is next level. What he is emphasizing, if you know the best proof that you really know what I'm teaching you, is you acting. You doing something about it. He's, uh, he's emphasizing lordship when people are willing to put his words into action. You know what that helps us with? The storms of life. When Christ is our foundation, that will help us with the storms of life. Here's what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 6. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. When we have a foundation that is in Christ Jesus, we can withstand any storm. Why? Because we're anchored into Jesus. A life well built on Jesus is just that, a life well built. When Jesus is our foundation, our foundation is unshakable. Why? Because Jesus is unshakable. And we choose to obey him even in the storm. Because when the storms of life come, isn't that when we're most tempted to disobey God and take some shortcuts? Horatio Spofford is a, is a man who wrote uh, the hymn, uh, It Is Well. And uh, it's uh, something that maybe some of us are familiar with, some of us maybe not. Uh, maybe we've heard this story. But here's, here's one, a few lines from that, this old hymn, It Is Well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, that could be looked upon as just some nice little hymn that some guy wrote back in the 1800s, like cute words, like really, really cool and all. But, but think about now with me the story behind him writing these lyrics. He wrote them. He was a man that was of wealth. His wealth fell apart during the Chicago fire. He was a man with a, with a, with a, had experienced tragedy. He had a son and four daughters. He experienced that his son died. And so when he lost his wealth, when he lost his only son, he was like, he needed a restart. So he said, I'm going to move my family across the pond over to Europe 
and we're going to meet up with this guy named D.L. Moody. We're going to kind of restart our lives. So they had everything in motion to go across the pond. And as, he's, as they're going to get onto this boat, they, he had some business things that came up, and it delayed him. He's like, okay, you guys go over there. I'll meet up with you in a few days. And, and so he sends his family on to deal with what he had to deal with. And as his family gets on the boat, travels across the, bo- upon the pond, an English vessel saw, sees them and, sends, and, sen- and, and sinks the ship. Within 12 minutes of being hit by this English vessel, the ship sank. Everything is cool, calm, and collected, and all of a sudden they're hit. 12 minutes later, death. He get, receives a telegram that's from his wife that says, saved alone. Four of his daughters died. And so he goes over to England right away, and, and it's said that as he was traveling, traveling across the pond, and when he, when he got to the portion of the, of the ocean, a portion of the sea that was thought to be where this vessel sank, where his daughters lost their lives, this is when it's said that he, he, he penned these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, as he's looking at the sea, when sorrow is like sea billows roar, whatever my lot, whatever comes my way, thou hast taught me to say, a learned trait, it is well. It is well with my soul. That's easy to, to say when the storms of life are, haven't hit, but it's hard to say when the storms of life really, truly have hit. It seems counterintuitive when the storms of life come to to curse God off and not say, it is well, it is well. But that is what makes Christianity different. We look at our God as an anchor for our soul. And and in God's economy, mercy replaces uh, 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 retribution. In God's economy, grace supplants justice. In God's economy, sacrificial giving drives the economy, not earning, borrowing, lending, and buying things. It's It's not looking for shortcuts. It's saying, God, your way is the only way I will do whatever you ask me and not take a shortcut. Because as we as Christians compromise and take shortcut after shortcut, you know what that is? It's a slippery slope to lip service. And that's where Jesus concludes his sermon. He says, here's what lip service looks like. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. What's different in the story? It's not the storm. It's not even the house. It's their response to building a foundation. Both of them experience a storm. You know what that means? This is, this is a great truth for us to realize. Storms of life, hardships in life happen for both Christians and non-Christians. Jesus never once said, if you come to me, you will never experience hardship. Because if he had said that, what would that make Jesus? Aladdin. The genie. It would make him just a genie in a bottle. Come to me and you'll never experience any hardship in life. People would flood to Jesus. Like, we, like if we could say, like, no, that's not the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture is that life is going to happen to those that call on Jesus and those that don't call on Jesus. But the truth of Scripture is this. If you call on me, if I am your foundation, I will walk with you through it. 
That is the truth of those who call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because those who call on the name of the Lord have made Jesus the cornerstone. Back in the day, you would build a house. You would build a foundation, uh, let's say a square house, and the cornerstone would be the most important part because you're looking all over the place for rocks to build this wall. The cornerstone, it was imperative that the cornerstone had a flat face over here, a flat, a flat face over here. Why? Because if this was cockeyed, the whole wall becomes cockeyed. If this is cockeyed, the whole wall becomes cockeyed. So the most important piece of the foundation was the four cornerstones. And Jesus, in other scriptures, refers to himself as the cornerstone. To reject him as the most important piece in your life is to have a bad foundation. To reject him, you, can ex you will experience... Just like this storm that was quick, sudden, and the destruction was thorough and complete. For those that reject Jesus as the cornerstone will experience that same type of destruction in the life to come. If you died in this moment, it's paradise with God forever or it's destruction for all of eternity that will be instant. We preach a message that says Jesus is the only way because he himself said that. And, and if you went to the coffee shop and said, well, uh, oh, Buddha, no, uh, or this, no, or this, that, like, no, 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 Jesus is the only way. There will be people from the community that would look at you as a bigot. I reject that. I say Jesus is the only way, and I say that with all love. I'm not saying Hitler is the only way. I'm saying the God of this universe, full of love. He is my God that I choose to follow, and I want to make his way my ways. That's who I want to direct us to because his life is really the only way to live. If we say Jesus is the only way, then as Christians, we have to live like there is no other way of living. When I was in high school, uh, or actually just after high school, I, took, I did a year at Taylor University, and it was a lot of fun. And then I needed to take a semester off to pay some bills and, and earn some money. And I was working, and uh, as I was working construction, I was starting to kind of see my, my morals shift a little bit. And uh, my high school buddies were now in, at local colleges, and so I was visiting every now and again and maybe partying a little bit and uh, trying to get some dates that probably weren't uh, wise dates to have and I was slowly starting to dabble I thought I was hiding it from my parents and they're here they can tell you I did an awful job with that and uh, but my foundation was starting to crack a little bit and then during that time I experienced a, a church split uh, my pastor was rejected, was kicked out of his house, or out of, out of the church uh, because his, his sons had long hair, uh, because uh, he, how dare he let his kids uh, buy Quicksilver name brand clothing and not only shop from Goodwill. Uh, uh, you know, like, it was like the stupidest stuff. And I was like, if this is how Christians live, I want nothing to do with it. And so what I did, I used that as an excuse to then party more, to then do other things that I knew I shouldn't be doing. And when the storm of life came that was me being part of a church split came, when that storm came, my foundation crumbled. Why? Because I had already let the foundation crack a little bit. I never addressed it. And so for you and I, when we see our foundation, maybe God's putting something on your heart right now that would show a slight crack in the foundation. 
do you need to address that now before the storm comes? Before life hits and all of a sudden, man, this is going to blow apart and the whole thing might come caving down. Why? Because when, you're, when you give into a foundation crack, you're giving into lip service. You know what, anchor, uh, what lip service looks like? It looks like you and I not being anchored. What lip service looks like is you and I thinking that there are multiple ways to God. What, what lip service looks like is you and I giving over trying to manipulate God. What lip service looks like is us trying to inform God instead of saying, God, I'm willing to let you inform me. What, what lip service looks like is choosing the easy over the difficult. What lip service looks like is praying nice little small prayers to a small God instead of big prayers and to a big God. What lip service looks like is, well, the most spiritual conversations I have is while I'm drunk, so I might as well get drunk. I'll, you know, have some spiritual conversation. <laughs> lip service looks like God is good enough for me, but I don't care about other people. Lip service says, well, well, I might disagree with somebody socially. I'll draw a line in the sand and say, I choose to only love these people and not these people. That is lip service. Lip service says, well, I'm, I'm thankful that my kids found Jesus. I'm thankful that their lives have changed. I, it's good for them, but for me, I do me. I don't really care. It's good for them. That is all versions of lip service. Both of these individuals had a storm. Both of these individuals built a house. But what differed is their action. What differed is how they built their house and the foundation. This would divide people, and it might even divide some of us in this world. But the reality is when we have Jesus as the foundation, as he is everything, what happens is we are able to stand against the storms of life. Faith truly does drive our obedience. And the choice before us is lordship or lip service. And so I, I thought, like, we talk about trailblazing. I originally wanted to do an analogy where I was going to take this nice little cute little knife and say, like, hey, we should be trailblazers blazing through life. And I was like, ah, oh, like, this doesn't really cut it. And I was like, Josh, Josh Raj, you're a hiker. You have hiked uh, Mount Washington. I was like, hey, y'all have a, a hatchet? Y'all know hatchets. It's a big thing now. They said, hey, you should drink beer and throw hatchets. That's become a thing now. So y'all know, know hatchets. Okay. And so I was like, Josh, you hike. Uh, like, do you have a hatchet? He's like, oh, yeah. I got a hatchet. And so, like, I imagine this is all taped up for a reason, so I'm not going to untape it. And I was like, this is a hatchet. And so I was going to talk about, like, hey, we're going to trailblaze through life. Like, we're not going to give God lip service. And then Wheels, Wheels, my buddy, he's like, Jason, I heard, I heard you need a hatchet. And he walked in. I was right up in this seat working on it. I was like, Jason, I got a hatchet for you. And I was like, I took it in my hand, and I was like, I am a man. I'm like, I got a hatchet. I was like, this is great. This will get me through the Congo. This, this is going to blaze a trail among lilies. This ain't going to do crap. And so I was like, I want to blaze a trail with this when I get to the Congo someday. We was like, I sharpened it. I was like, I got to be careful with this. I don't know how to use it. When we think of blazing a new trail, Lip service really is trying to wade through the Congo with our butter knife. When we talk about blazing a new trail as Christians, we have the word of God as our sword, as our offensive weapon, as we blaze through the chaos that is the Congo of this world with an axe that is our Jesus, an axe that is as how we wade through life. And so the choice is ours. On the way in, you received a note card. I'm going to ask that you write a phrase on it. Through this series or maybe even this sermon, 
What is God asking you to do? You know it deep down inside. God, you're asking me to write it down. Or maybe God has put something on your heart like, hey, hey, Jason, you should stop watching Barstool Sports. It's not good for you. So I would probably write, Jason, stop watching that. What is he asking you to stop doing? And for others, maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you're like, man, like I know Jesus is asking me to give him my life. But am I ready? So maybe that's what you need to write down. Jesus, you're asking me to give you my life. Whatever it is, write it down. And as you think, hear from these Wellspring Trailblazers. Um, my wife was in Keswick and was for a heroin addiction. And while she was there, I also had been struggling with alcohol abuse. So I grew up in a home where one of my parents abused pain medication and because of how she abused pain medication it caused me to have really bad anxiety. So um, as a kid when I was four my parents got divorced and that really triggered um, what my anxiety and depression. So um, Tom and I have four children. Um, one of our children at the age of four was diagnosed with leukemia. While she was there, I was able to get a mentorship with the guy that went through the colony and he actually worked for Keswick. And he helped me to overcome my addiction to alcohol. When it came time for my wife to graduate from Keswick, we found a new apartment, everything seemed to be going very well. And then a few months after, December 27th, my wife passed away. She treated me in a way that I feel a parent shouldn't treat their child, and that was something that I had a really hard time coping with growing up. I felt like, wow, like my parent who's supposed to love me doesn't love me in the right way. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, is it something that I'm doing? And that's something I struggled with for a really long time. After that, like, it was really hard for me to gain a relationship with new people. At school, it was really hard for me to make friends because I was kind of making it hard for people to come up to me and talk to me. Um, I got like to a point over the next few years where I was at my lowest point in my life and um, I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Which was a very difficult time for us. Um, we were both Christians at the time so this was, um, we definitely use our faith in the um, situation, um, did a lot of praying, um, had a lot of um, church family that was stood by us and um, went through the whole process with us as well. And I was faced with the first choice of my life to decide whether I was going to go back to drinking or whether I was going to pursue God pursue the new faith that I had found. And because of this, I developed a really bad anxiety disorder. And so time went on and I wound up moving in with my father when I was 16. And I thought that would solve all my problems and I wouldn't be anxious anymore, but the problems just got worse. I had to withdraw from high school and uh, finish school at my house, like with my teachers coming to help me. And I couldn't walk at graduation, I couldn't go to prom. and. I was a mess and I got to a point where I felt I felt hopeless, I felt worthless and I felt like I wasn't living for anything. I didn't feel like I had anyone to like trust or I just felt alone and one night Christina texted me and invited me to youth group. 
there was another time. With his hair. <clears throat> yes. When he prayed that his hair wouldn't fall out and um, we went to the doctor and she said, how did his, his hair grow back so fast? And we said, no, his hair never fell it out. It hadn't fallen out. And Yet. And it did said, eventually, but. She said, I don't know how his hair didn't fall out. And with God's strength, I was blessed miraculously. My grandparents, my car just died. My grandparents bought me a new car. My grandparents paid my, my rent that month. And the guys that I worked with all compiled money together and gave to me. And as I kept pursuing God, God kept pursuing me with the support of people in Keswick and with the support of my life group at Wellspring Church, I have felt the grace of God and the love of God in my life in a way that I've never felt before. And so I knew that I needed more in my life. I knew that there was something that was really missing from my everyday life and from my peace. And so I wound up going to church with my stepmom and I started to feel as though that was what was missing. I felt like I heard about God, I was raised Catholic, so I knew who God was, but I never knew that a relationship with Jesus was possible. So when I started going to church with my stepmom, I got more interested and I started to read more and I started to learn more, but I felt like something was still missing. I felt like it wasn't clicking for me. So then I wound up going to a worship night up north and that is when Jesus saved my life. Um, I remember I was worshiping for the first time, like really worshiping, I had my hands raised. It was an experience that I couldn't believe was happening. Like I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time and it was, it was amazing. It was like the best feeling in the world. And, and ever since then, the night that I was saved, I've just had this passion and this fire for God. remember him saying something to the effect like I can't wait to be with Jesus and I was like oh that's that's a great thought but right now I'd rather you stay here with us but I just thought it was kind of really cool because he had to have been eight seven eight years old and he was saying this and it was very amazing to think that a child had that kind of um, thought process about Jesus, so it was... Yeah, his favorite song was Take the World But Give Take Me the Jesus. World, but give me and Jesus. he'd be up in his room singing it at night. Yeah, we took a, a video, we had a, a tape of it, we took up to the hospital with us, and he would play it, we would play it all the time. And um, I started reading my Bible, and I started going to Wellspring, and um, things really changed for me, and Jesus totally changed my life after that. He brought me out of this dark, hopeless pit that I was in and gave me a new life and truly saved me from the old self that I was. He broke the chains of anxiety in me and now I get to live not perfectly and I still have those days where I'm anxious and I still have those days where I'm questioning everything, but I know that my hope is not found in the things that I do, but my hope is found in Jesus. And now 20, he's 21 years old, healthy, um, I actually just was at his pediatrician's the other day, and he said, so how's your son doing? 
And I said, he's doing really well. He's 21 now. And he's like, well, how many years has it been? And I said, well, he's actually in remission. He's been off treatment for like 17, 10 years, about 10 years. And he said, well, he should be, he should be good. So um, he's yeah. tall, he's handsome, and uh, we're really proud of him. smart. Yeah. I'm a trailblazer. <laughs> I'm a trailblazer. I'm a trailblazer. We are trailblazers. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.